Hey, good morning. Great to see you today. Uh, let me just uh, encourage you for that uh, March 1st uh, when uh, Luther Ellis is going to be sharing. And uh, I'm excited about that. It's a great opportunity for you to bring somebody, start reaching out as a way for Luther to speak into our lives. If you've not met him yet, uh, don't know Luther, he was here this morning in the first service. And Luther is a guy that his smile and his heart is as big as he is. And um, he, I, I used to think, or I had some people once in a while, or years ago, that make a statement about, um, you know, what can I learn from football players? But let me tell you, he's a football player that uh, not only was good at what he did, but he also has, he's smart, and he has a good personality. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty cool for football players, right? Oh, come on, guys. Help me out, because the sermon's going to not have any humor to it, so we've got to start it out. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, I'm looking forward to March 1st uh, and Luther sharing. That's going to be an exciting day and uh, a part of that. My name is Terry Petty. My wife and I uh, attend the first service most of the time. And so if we haven't met you yet, we look forward to doing so. And we are excited to be a part of Venture Church and uh, we are strongly committed to the church, strongly committed to Pastor Scott and Sarah, and we love them, and we um, are, are love being in their care and uh, being with you guys and being a part of this, what's happening here. Scott's on uh, a trip to Israel, as was mentioned. Today he was at the Western Wall. I was fortunate to have gone to Israel in 2004, so I've been there at that Western Wall, and I have a, a little slip of paper on a prayer request someplace on that wall, tucked in away with millions and millions of others that have prayed at that place, and, and just kind of a special place to know that, you know, that's, that's where Jesus had been. Those are some steps that he had been, and, and walked those steps, and Scott will become a better pastor, a better preacher. Uh, because of the experience of actually putting to, to real life of the, the places and the areas where Jesus walked, where Jesus taught, where the disciples interacted with one another. And Scott will connect with those and be able to draw from there to make the Bible as we know it here come alive even better. So uh, I am excited that he was able to go. And you will notice a difference as time goes on. Uh, we are in a series called The Revelation of Jesus. The Revelation of Jesus, we're looking at the, the letters that were written um, through the Apostle John. And the letter that is given that my assignment is in Revelation chapter 2, talking about the letter to the church at Ephesus. So just to give you a little um, start on the, the scriptures and how we go about it, let me read, we're going to read from Revelation chapter 2, and it's not going to be up on the screen. You're going to either get to do it old school with your bi real Bible, and, uh, or you can pull out your, I think somebody calls it the fake Bible, your phone Bible, and you get to read it along to yourself. And uh, that's so Revelation chapter 2, <clears throat> the first several verses, 
say this, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and you have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the first love, or the love that you had at first. Consider how far that you have fallen. Repent, do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Lord, as we look at your word today, we pray that you'll just open our eyes, open our hearts to understand your word in a way that we've not understood it before, and it will literally bring about change in our lives to bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're talking about today the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, you heard from Bethany. The week before that, Scott began to set the scene. They did a great job of unveiling and beginning to help us understand how that we can begin to look at this revelation of Jesus and how we can apply it today. One of the things I want to visit with you to start with is a word that, uh, uh, it's kind of a big word called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is basically a, a way that we go about or a structure by which we interpret the Bible. When we read it, how do we understand it? How do we interpret it? How do we make that scripture that is written from, uh, that is given to us, and how do we begin to interpret it to make sense for us today? Now, there are, it's, hermeneutics are designed by people much smarter than I, and there is a long list. There's probably, some of them put eight different rules, and some put five different rules, and I'm simple enough, I only have two rules. So the two rules that I have in hermeneutics are simply this. If we can read the Bible by and understand it by what did the original author intend for the original audience to understand? So when you're reading the Bible, what did the original author, when he's writing the letter, intend for the original audience to understand that to be? Many times when we begin to read Scripture, we get that out of sequence, and we begin to take the Scripture and say, oh, Lord, I'm desperate. I need to hear from you today. And we open up the Bible and say, here, Lord, speak to me today. And then when we read it and say, oh, that's not what I meant. That's not what I want. I'm fi- finding someplace else. Lord, speak to me over here. 
and we begin to flip it around until we find something that, that agrees with what we're feeling or what we're thinking, and we interpret Scripture based upon our feelings and our understanding, and then if we do that, we become the interpreter of Scripture ourselves rather than letting the Scripture speak to us. We're making the Scripture say something to us that we want, it to, we want to hear from it. So when we read from Scripture, always as much as you can, start from the premise, what did the original author intend for the original audience to hear? And only from that can we gain the experience to understand Scripture on our own. The second thing is that when we read Scripture is that we believe that Scripture is to be taken literally. Read it for what it says. So the literal interpretation are, these are the words, this is what words mean, and this is what the meaning is as a result of it to us. When Scripture is intentionally to be figurative, or to give a picture, or to give a metaphor, or to give a parable, then we understand it in the context that this is figurative, and we understand it to be figurative. <clears throat> and that's one of the things about the revelation of Jesus Christ that makes it a little bit difficult to understand is there is so much of it is figurative or it is in picture form or it is in a design that, that is trying to describe that which has not happened and we're, he's tr John is trying to give us a picture of what it may be and he doesn't really fully understand it either so he's trying to relay it in a term for us to understand and when we understand figurative terms or metaphors, we must understand that they are always limited in the way that we can apply them to that scripture. Apply them only to the meaning that it was intended to, mean, to, to be fit for. Sometimes people take those figuratives and they begin to stretch them out or metaphors and stretch them out beyond what the original author intended for them to understand. So when we're reading the revelation of Jesus, we want to understand it within the context of what John is writing. Revelation chapter 1, Bethany had shared really well last week, and Scott did too the week before that, from Revelation 1, where John expre expresses and, uh, and, and tells us what he is trying to share. In, in chapter 1, he says that there was a voice that came from behind him, and the voice said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the Lord God who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. John, I want you to write, therefore, what you have seen and now what will take place later. Now understand that this writing happens, that John is the apostle that has known Jesus from the time that he was a, a young man. He is a disciple. He has followed Jesus for three years through the, the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus has invested in him. <coughs> 
He has invested his life. <clears throat> He's tried to teach him. He has told, talked to him about the kingdom of God. He has, he has ate dinner with him. He has watched him in the good times and the hard times and the bad times. He's walked through them, all the celebrations, the miracles. And John has learned from Jesus himself in a way that we have never, cannot grasp. And then there was such a close relationship that John becomes one of that inner crowd of Jesus, one of the closest people, even to the place when Jesus dies on the cross, he looks down and says, John, this is my mother, she's now your mother, take her to your home, care for her, care for my mother, because I can't do that, and John becomes the caretaker, the son of Mary, the mother of Jesus. John, then it becomes an apostle and begins to write the gospel, write letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also writes this, the revelation. As he's instructed, write this down, what I'm going to tell you, because it is important for the church to know what is, was, and is to come. John is on the island of Patmos. He's on this island, which is nothing more than an Alcatraz. It's an island for prisoners. John, the, the people found that they could not keep John from, from communicating and talking, to him, talking about Christ and the, 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 the Christians as they were growing. So they took John, they put him on the island and said, at least we can isolate him to an island with only the prisoners. He can go preach to those prisoners all that he wants, and we're going to isolate him over to that spot. But it was during that time that John is on Patmos that God says, you're not just being set apart on this island in this deserted time of your life, but this deserted time of your life is so that you can get alone and really hear from me. There may be times in our lives that God will put us in a place of isolation or emptiness or gaps in our lives, and we wonder what's going on. Why is this happening to us? Why are we in prison over here? Why aren't things happening the way that they are? And it may be that it's set, God is setting us apart, that he can put us in a place that he can talk to us, that we can hear him. During the time there, John begins to write what Jesus begins to explain to him. Write these things down. <clears throat> he begins to write, and he says, actually, there's, there's um, three things that I want you to write about and the way that we interpret the revelation. First of all, we have to recognize that this is a revelation of Jesus. The revelation, Jesus is revealing himself to John and to the church. So as we read this, these words and read this message, always read it with the understanding that Jesus is trying to communicate to us more and more who he is, why he does what he does, and communicates us to us to it. He reveals himself. So read it from the perspective of revealing. We're going to look at that today. The second thing is that he's going to reveal himself to the church at Ephesus. He's revealing himself to a real church, to a real time and place. You see that the Ephesus is a town that was John's hometown. And by being his hometown, he knew the people as much as Moscow is your hometown, 
for right now in your life. You may have called someplace else your other home where you came from, but this is your hometown for now. You walk these streets. You know these people. You know what happens in the community. You have your connections here, your roots here. This is your church. This is where you connect. <coughs> that was John's hometown. He knew the, the bishop to the town, Timothy. Timothy was the one that, was a, that came under ministry from Paul. And Paul, in the missionary journeys, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to become the, the, the bishop or the leader over the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus is actually distributed in house churches all across the city. There wasn't one big building. There wasn't one main place that they came to, but they were spread out through the areas. And Timothy is the bishop to give oversight to all that happens in the church in that area. And he's the leader that is there. The town of Ephesus is actually a town that has about probably 250,000 people at the time. It is a coastal city. And there, so the, the trade routes come, the ships come in. We now know of Ephesus would be on the west side of Turkey. The, the country of Turkey right now, be on that west side, along the Aegean Sea in that area, that's where it was at. And it was a coastal town. It also had the, the main road that came through Asia and through Turkey coming from Asia on the, the east side, comes down through. And so it became the center of commerce. It was cosmopolitan. It was kind of like the New York City of, of, our, of USA. <coughs> it was a place that was happening. In the center of Ephesus, there was a temple the temple was uh, the temple to Artemis, or the also called the Temple of Diana. The temple itself was built originally 800 years before the time of, that John is writing about and John is living, 800 B.C., almost 900 years now. It was built. It got burned in a fire. It got built back bigger and better than ever. He got destroyed in a fire. He got built back over the same place in the same location, bigger and better again. <coughs> Pardon me. So that the, the temple was considered in that part of the world what was called the, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was so magnificent, so beautiful, that it was way beyond comprehension of what we could understand at that point in time to be built. How many have been watching uh, the structure go up for MC on the south side of town? You've been seeing those big metal structures going up three stories high, and it's beginning. Get in your mind that the Temple of Artemis was probably about that size. In fact, it was that large that the pillars that were built, they didn't have cranes, Okay. Do you guys understand? They didn't have cranes to lift those big heavy bar or steel bars. So they just used marble. Huge pieces of marble that stand 60 feet in the air. And there were only 120 of them. 
marble cut out of the, the stone, the rock, cut out of the wall and moved from the places of marble, huge places, moved by literally rolling them and dragging them to put them into place and lifting pieces of marble up so they stack up 60 feet in the air, 120 of them. And then it has in, engraved in that marble intricate pictures and ornate designs and, and artistry that is beyond, it's, it's amazing even to this day about how the, the, the pictures give us of how intricate that was. And that main temple became a center place for the town of Ephesus. The Apostle Paul lived there three years. John lived there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived there. Timothy lived there during the period of time that this letter is written. So when we read the, le the letter, we're reading to a real city in a real time in a real place. I also believe that there is a revelation to that city, but there's also a revelation to us. And I ask the question, what is Jesus revealing to Venture Church to us today? You guys are sitting here. What is it that Jesus wants to reveal to us today out of this very same word so that when we read Revelation, <coughs> we re read it in the context that there is a revelation of Jesus, a revelation to the real physical church in Ephesus, and a revelation to us. And to take any one of those to the exclusion of the others begins to distort the message to become something that it was not intended to be. So the only way for us to understand that this revelation to us is to re understand it in this threefold revelation, this threefold understanding, and they fit together and they build one upon the other. So when John writes that this is to the angel of the church at Ephesus, some people think it was maybe an angel. You know, one of those guys with wings and stands up there and goes, ooh. Says, do not be afraid. Okay? It's probably, some may take it an angel. If you want to believe it's an angel, you believe that. Okay? I don't, have, I don't care. I think probably it's more likely that he's writing to the head of the church at Ephesus, to Timothy, as, and calls him as the angel, the head, the leader over that area of Ephesus, that he is writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy, you are going to be that angel, and he applies it to each of the seven churches, the same metaphor, the same image that is there. So again, we have a metaphor that's being portrayed there for us to understand that he's probably writing to Timothy, and he knows Timothy as well as I know Jeff, or better. That he's looking at the, one of the leaders of the church, and he's beginning to say, or to Pastor Scott, I'm writing to you, Pastor Scott, because you're the, the pastor over Moscow, over the venture church that is here. It's very much in that way, and he's, he, would, he writes this, that, that Paul was writing to Timothy, and he writes to Timothy, and he says, uh, when Paul writes, he says, Timothy, keep your head in every situation. I think maybe Paul was writing to Timothy and saying, keep your head in every situation because 
probably Timothy didn't keep his head in every situation. He may have lost control of his anger once in a while. He may have gotten on some other things once in a while. And Paul is writing to him and saying, get your head straight. Keep focused. Keep your head in every situation. Endure the hardships. Don't let those hardships overwhelm you. You're going to have them. Endure them. Stick them out. Stay with it. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge. discharge. Do your ministry. And he says, do your best to present yourself as one that God is approved. You're a worker that do not need to be ashamed and who handily who correctly handles the word of truth. So that's what Paul is giving to Timothy, and John recognizes him here. John's the disciple, but he also submits to Timothy as the pastor or the bishop that is there. Pretty good, res- re- good, pretty good um, union that they have and, and respect for one another. So if we look at the scripture, that's going to be revealed in three ways. Number one, Jesus is revealing himself. Jesus is revealing himself to the church at Ephesus, and he's revealing himself to Venture Church today, us. So if he's going to do that, what is Jesus trying to reveal about, about himself to help us understand him better? First of all, he starts off and says, I am the one that holds seven stars in my hand. What does he mean by that symbolic picture of holding seven stars in a hand? That's a really big hand. He says, I am holding the universe. I'm holding light. It's a symbol of power and majesty and authority that I am in control over all of the universe in my hand. All of those heavens, not a problem. I can do this. Jesus is revealing to us that he has that kind of authority, majesty, and power that is there. Secondly, he says, I walk among the candlesticks. The candlesticks, we're told in chapter 1, are the churches, the seven churches. So Jesus says, even though I have the universe in my hand, I'm still walking among your church. I'm walking up and down the aisles. I'm walking up and down your streets. I am present with you. I know what it is that you're going through. I know what your deeds are. I'm watching you because I am present with you. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. You've been doing a great job, and I'm excited about your hard work. You're doing it well. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wickedness. I know that the wickedness that you see, it, it makes you sick to your stomach. He says, it does me too. As he's walking up and down the streets, he knows what you're facing when you're walking on campus and there are groups around campus or there are instructors that you have that, that maybe not be godly people that are teaching different things. He says, I know the culture that you are. I know what happens up and down Main Street. I know what's going on there. And then he said, I'm also so glad that you are the ones that help protect the doctrine, the truth, the word of God. There are apostles that begin to rise up. And as the apostles rise up, you help expose them for being false teachers according to the truth. 
and you, in, you are persevering, you're enduring hardship, you are, you've not grown weary, you're sticking with it, I am so proud of you. Isn't it neat to have Jesus say, I'm proud of you? Wow. And then he follows that up with this. Yet, I hold something against you. It's kind of like having a, those evaluations, you know, that you have to take an evaluation in, in your jobs. They go through and they list all the great things that you've done and they say, but I have to write something down that's going to challenge you and, and tell you you're doing it wrong. It has to be in every part of every evaluation. They're going to tell you that something's wrong because that's what bosses have to do. That's what they do in evaluations, to challenge you, to motivate you, to move your head. And he says, well, I'm going to hold this against you. <coughs> and he says, well, I'm going to hold it against you. <coughs> is that you have forsaken your first love, the things that you loved at first. Now, I know that when I always looked at that scripture, I always used to think about it in terms of my first love in a romantic light and, and in that relationship kind of thing. And uh, my first love is still here. She has not forsaken me. She has not left me. 42 plus years, she's hanging in there. You could be really proud of her. Because she's put up with me a long time. I have not left my first love. And I always put it in that context, but I, I'm not sure that that's really the best application for this. I think what, that John, or what Jesus is saying is he's saying to, uh, to reveal to the church of Ephesus, to reveal to Timothy, and to reveal to the people there is, go back to what you love doing first. If you read the letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, they loved people. And because they loved the people of the community, because they loved what was going on, it's that love that was there that was motivating them. And sometimes when we get working hard, when we do the, the challenges of ministry, when we begin to look at the, the hard things that begin to happen, sermon must be dry. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate it very much. <clears throat> very kind of you. <clears throat> and Right, we're going to do it. <clears throat> Anybody else want some? <laughs> because of the, this revelation of, they were losing that first love. Um, and I think what the Jesus said, get back to loving people. Stop being distracted by the hard work that you're doing. Sometimes we get so involved in the hard things that we're doing that we lose the why. We're doing the what's. We're, doing a, we're, we're going through our task. We're going through our process. We're doing the disciplines, but we're missing the why we do it. And we've got to remember that the why that we are here today is we are here to worship the Lord, as, and we're doing it corporately as well as individually, and we are also here to distribute the kingdom of God and teach the kingdom of God to a world on our streets. And he's encouraged to be reminded of why you are doing this and get back to loving people again. 
If you love the people again, it will come to life and the hardships are going to be worth it. The perseverance is a reason I'm going to stick through it because even through when I get through those hard times and the rough times, we're going to be able to survive them and actually see some fruitfulness that becomes a part of it. He says this as it reveals. I'm going to hold it against you, but you also have this thing in your favor. I, he says, one of the things you have in your favor is that you, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. And I also hate them. You know, when I read that, that was kind of, a, that's, it's kind of shocking to me. As I'm studying, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by Jesus saying, I hate them too. I hate the practices of the Nicolaitans too. And I'm going to come back to this in just a minute, this issue of, of love and hate. But simply for right now, the revelation to the church is this. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. I don't like the word hate. I don't like it when somebody says, I hate this, I hate I hate this food, I hate this thing, I hate, I hate the snow, I hate whatever it is, I hate the cold, I hate the hot, I hate the, we can go through all these things, that we, I don't like the word hate very much. And so when I read it it, 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 it kind of always, I hate the word hate. There we go. I need to write that down. Just hate the word hate. <clears throat> but in that... <clears throat> It's okay for us to hate the things that God hates. But we've got to know God to be able to understand what those things are and why he hates them. What's behind it so that we understand it in that same context. So he reveals himself to the church of Ephesus. I think he also reveals himself to us here at Venture Church today. He says, to them that have ears, let them hear. I think that's a way of saying to, the, to the, the people that are reading this and hearing it, I want you to become alert because this message is for you, to those that have ears, to hear it. If you're going to have understanding, listen for the understanding. Pay attention to it. He says that uh, this is to the one that is victorious. To the Venture Church today, I think he's wanting to say, you are a part of a victorious church. We are now 2,000 years from the time of Christ that he died. We're 2,000 years from the time of this letter being written to the church at Ephesus. And we are beginning to see an unfolding that the church of Ephesus is victorious because we are still celebrating that a kingdom of God that is alive and effective and, and part of what we're doing. You don't know anything about the, the, the followers of Diana or Artemis. That temple's dead and gone. There's one standard, one pillar that's left over a, la- a ground that's absolutely empty and barren except for a reminder of one of those 120 different pillars that's there. That's dead and gone. It didn't survive. It was not victorious. It was destroyed. 
But the church of Jesus Christ is still alive today. You are a part of that. Let yourself hear the part that you are a part of the living, growing, vital body of Christ, living Christ. Hear it. Now, let me talk to you for a minute about another thing that I think that this portion of Scripture is trying to express to us. And it has to deal with the issues of tolerance and hate. Because I'm, I'm reading through the Scripture, and I'm, I'm trying to ask the question, what is it that he wants to reveal to me? What is it that he wants to re- reveal to us today? And as I'm reading it, I, I'm picking up on the stories that, that Jesus is revealing himself, and Jesus, being who he is, ended up being crucified and dying on a cross. We don't necessarily look at that. The world didn't understand that to be victorious. We saw it victorious because he rises again and he comes back and he's continuing to minister and continue to reach to us. That's the hope that we have. To the church of Ephesus, he is uh, communicating that you guys are having hard times. You have to endure the stuff. You have to be tolerant of the world that is around you. Now, there was a time that tolerance was defined this way. That tolerance was the, it was the way that um, I get a chance to, to believe what I believe to be true. You may believe something that is different than I believe, and you have the freedom to believe it but don't change my belief. I'm going to be tolerant of you, but I'm going to res- I hope that you respect me enough to be tolerant of me as well. Somewhere along the line over the last several years, that definition of tolerance has shifted. And it's almost like tolerant has become defined by the word we used to use as intolerant. It has a reverse meaning to it. It's kind of like, Wow, that's really hot. When hot doesn't mean temperature. It has a different meaning to the word. That's cool. But we we mean cool is hot. And hot means we, we our words shift sometimes. And so we're at the time of this intolerance that is there, and the intolerance is that I believe what I believe, but you want me to accept what you believe as truth as well, and you're going to force me to hold your truth as truth, and it begins to shift that is there. We're in a we're really interesting culturally spot that was there. The other thing that we have to deal with is uh, being aware of what's called hate speech. And this hate speech is a way that we become derogatory or we become running down or negative towards the others. Others in, in groups and or peace, we run them down. And let me caution us as Venture Church to that we will never become a part of speaking our hatred towards others that we will not allow the words of hatred to come out of our mouths directed toward others. We might not like what they do. 
We may hate their practices. We may not like the way they do it. We may not hold to the truth that they hold on to, that they think is important to them. We might hold something different, but we don't speak it out with hate. But in fact, that when we see it on Facebook, I'm going to implore you. I'm going to challenge you. If you see something that is a hate statement on Facebook, do not join in with that comments. Leave it alone. Do not put a like on it. Do not encourage it. Because we are not those kind of people. We speak with love and kindness and gentleness and the love of Christ that needs to come through. Let's speak words of encouragement. And if you have, if you know the people that are making the hate speech and you feel challenged by the Lord that you have to do something, talk to them directly. Sit down and buy them a cup of coffee. Take them around to some place that you can sit down and have the conversation. It takes courage to do that, but handle it upright in such a way, but don't jump in with the riots and the crowds. I think it's part of the challenges to us. We endure those hardships. We persevere those times when they are attacking us. We can defend ourselves, absolutely. Defend your belief, defend your truth. Use the wisdom of Scripture to speak to it. Know your Scripture well enough that you can share the kindness of the Scripture so that, in fact, Paul writes to Timothy, and this is the way he writes it, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Okay? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. If you find somebody is trying to, to taunt you into getting into an argument and quarrel and debate in a public issue, leave it alone. And the Lord's servant, Paul writes to Timothy, is to not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Teach them, patiently endure evil, correct your opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. But we do it not with our own hatred, but we do it with gentleness and kindness and love and communicating the love of Christ to them. And we do it because we love sharing the gospel in its true sense. Let me tell you about the, pick up the story of Timothy. Timothy was 80 years old, probably. And there was a parade that was going on through the downtown of Ephesus. <coughs> the parade <clears throat> was in celebration of that temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis. But as the parade was happening down through the town, it wasn't really a parade, it was more of a riot. People were going through town with rocks, with clubs. They were destroying businesses. They were damaging, hurting people as they went down through town. They were fighting. They were setting stuff on fire. They were destroying the path that they walked through. We've seen some of those riots in the United States over the last several years. That we have those riots that begin to happen over whatever the issue is. And the riots were coming through. And Timothy 
who is the bishop over Ephesus, stood up and tried to stop or counter that riot that was there. And he started to speak and say, gentlemen, please do not destroy. Put down your violence. Stop what you are doing. And he tried to communicate peace to them, and they refused to receive his peace. And, the script, and some of the, uh, the writings that we understand later on that talk about Timothy is the people that were in that riot took Timothy as an 80-year-old man. They began to drag him through the streets, and they stoned him to death. Best we know, Timothy was killed on the streets under a time of riot to the wickedness of the temple of Diana. You would think that Timothy lost. You would think that Timothy had, was destroyed and the church would fall apart because their leader was destroyed in this time of violence. But as I mentioned, we don't know anything about the, the followers of Diana any longer or the temple of Artemis. But look how the gospel has grown through those that were faithful to endure the promise of the cross. Jesus, the scripture says, the Paul, uh, Peter writes, that he endured the cross, the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross knowing that even as he gave his life for us and our sins, that we might have life and a resurrected life, that was the answer to the kingdom of God, is for the future of life and resurrected life that comes through Jesus. It was a joy that he walked through those times of hardship and, and, and difficulty. In the same way, Timothy, it says that he walked with joy and peace and grace as he was leading. It ended up in, in his own death as it did all of the disciples except John. John was the only one that we know of from Scripture that did not die a martyr's death. And it says that when John was an old man, and now he's an old man because he's um, in his 80s or 90s, <coughs> and if, they say that John on his deathbed, because he had grown old, was only able to utter one word. And the word that John uttered was love. Love. Be reminded of the first love. Love one another. We're being called to love our community. We're, we're called to love the people in our streets. That we are in turn to reveal Jesus Christ to them. As Jesus reveals himself, reveals, reveals himself to the church, we, and reveals himself to us, we reveal Christ to the world that's around us. Lord, as we look at your word today, we, we know that there's, um, this is, there's some hard things that we have to change, and we have to almost be counterculture as we approach them, but Lord, I pray that you will give us wisdom in the way that we approach it. Let me leave you with these last words from, from Paul to the church at, at Rome, and he says that bless those who, per, who, bless those who persecute you, bless them, don't curse them. He says that as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. That's what we're called to. 
And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we can grasp that message that's being revealed to us and use that as our promoting what we're called to in this community, it brings honor to Jesus. Amen.